0: Welcome to this
1: edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Some people say, well, we should just take care of people's spiritual needs and we don't need to worry about that other stuff. That's not our problem or responsibility. Some people say, no, we've got to care for people. We've got to provide for the poor. And you know what happens is in people's minds, it always is reduced to like an either or. But in the Bible, it's, it's both and.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 6, verses 35 through 52, in a message titled, The Bread from Heaven.
1: Now, here's Pastor Brian. Here we are once again today in the Gospel of Mark. And perhaps you remember from our previous study, last time we talked about Jesus as the compassionate shepherd. And there in the 34th verse, you remember we just sort of camped out there. Jesus, when he came and saw a great multitude, was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. and now we pick up in the very next verse, verse thirty five when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, uh, "This is a deserted place, and so forth. So we pick up the story right you know right in the in the middle of this, so jesus he he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on them. And the first thing he does is he teaches them. He begins to teach them. So the first priority for Jesus is their spiritual need. And so he brings them that spiritual food, God's word. But then he's not insensitive to the fact that they have a physical need as well. And so that's as the story goes on. That's what we see, that he Having met their spiritual need, now he goes on to meet their physical need through the feeding of this multitude with the loaves and fish that we just read about together. So this story, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, this story is in all four Gospels. And it's interesting because there's another story about feeding here in uh, chapter 8. It's the feeding of the 4,000. And only two of the Gospels mention the second feeding of the multitude, the 4,000. But, but this feeding of the 5,000, all four Gospels mention this. And John is the one who actually gives us the most detail about it. So let me just read a few verses from John chapter 6 and just kind of get even a fuller picture of what's happening. So Jesus, seeing a great multitude coming toward him, said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread, that's like a half year's wages, is not sufficient for them that every one of them may eat a little one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. So we're going to come back to this later, because like I said, John gives us much more detail, and it's set, this is really the backdrop for some other very important things that Jesus said, so we'll come back to that in a few minutes, but before we do that, let's just talk for a minute about this feeding of the 5,000. So like I said, Jesus here now is ministering to their physical needs. You know, there's always been, I don't know about always, but you know, for a long time, and even today, there's kind of a debate that goes on, uh, even among Christians, about ministering to people spiritually versus ministering to them physically. And, you know, some people say, well, we should just you know, take care of people's spiritual needs and we don't need to worry about that other stuff. That's not our problem or responsibility. Some people say, no, you know, we, we've got to care for people. We've got to provide for the poor. We've got to be engaged in justice kinds of things and so forth. And, you know, what happens is in people's minds, it, it, it always is reduced to like an either-or it's one or the other. But in the Bible, it's, it's both and. It's not either or. In the Bible, it's, it's both. Jesus ministered to people physically as well. And so we as his people, the church, that's part of the, the ministry of the gospel, that we help people who are in need, uh, physical need, material need, and those, those kinds of things. And so we should not Create that uh, dichotomy that doesn't really exist in the scriptures. We should just remember that those those two things work together. But but obviously the the really important thing that sometimes does get forgotten and, and neglected is the spiritual need. And so we can never forget that man's deepest needs are spiritual. They're primary and the, the physical needs are real and so forth, but they're secondary in comparison to the spiritual. So we should never forego the gospel or the, the giving of the gospel to just do social kinds of things. And, and you know, some people would say that. Even, even some, you know, people who see themselves as Christians, they would say, well, you know, we don't want to impose the gospel on people. Let's just take care of their physical needs. And through doing that, we're going to, we'll show people what it is to be a Christian. Well, we do want to show people what it is to be a Christian, but we can never forego the communication of the gospel because it's, it's through the preaching of the gospel that people are saved, and that's the, the primary need. So just, just a quick side note there. But secondly, this feeding of the 5,000, now this is obviously a miracle. Now, of course, we're getting used to miracles because we're seeing them, as we go through Mark's gospel. And, but, but this is an extraordinary miracle because this is a miracle of creation. So Jesus is taking five barley loaves and two fish and he's feeding thousands of people. So there has to be a creative thing happening here in order for all of those people to eat from those things. So again, this would be one of those things, everybody knew this then, and everybody knows this as well today, everybody who's a believer, God is the one who creates. Nobody else can create. But of course, Jesus was doing that, which is another just sort of a incidental reminder to us of of who Jesus is. But this brings us just for a moment to the topic of miracles. Did miracles really happen? Now, you know, there are some people today, and this is not anything new, back in the 18th century, uh, the famous philosopher David Hume uh, said that, you know, he just completely dismissed the, the gospels and dismissed belief in God because he just simply said miracles do not happen, period. Because the majority of people that he was familiar with had never seen a miracle, therefore he concluded miracles never did happen. So when the Bible talks about miracles, this is all just part of the mythology, and therefore we can dismiss the Bible and not really think any more about it. Thomas Jefferson, although he wasn't totally ready to dismiss the idea of God, he absolutely dismissed the idea of miracles. And Thomas Jefferson, I don't know if you know this or not, but Thomas Jefferson came up with his own version of the New Testament. And what he basically did is he went through and he cut out all of the miracles. And he said, okay, this was, this was all the mythology that was put in that stumbles everybody. So let's get rid of this and then let's just get the teaching of Jesus out there. So they did not believe. And like I said, there are people today who do not believe that these miraculous things took place but why not if there is a God and if God is going to intervene in the world then I don't know what the big stumbling block is it seems to me quite reasonable that if you believe in God then you would expect that there would be miracles you know, Pastor Chuck used to say, if you can believe the first verse of the Bible, you can believe the rest of it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You believe that, then nothing else is a problem. God brings the world into existence. So yes, the miracles did happen. And they still happen today. And we cannot forget that. Now, this week, I was just Incidentally, listening to some of the podcasts that I listened to and a podcast that I really like by the guys over at Biola by Scott Ray and my good friend, Sean McDowell, they did a podcast with a guy named Craig Keener. Craig Keener is, he's one of the most brilliant thinkers theologically today. Just amazing guy. And uh, was an atheist, came to faith in Christ, and then went on to become a, a scholar. And he was writing a commentary on the Book of Acts, and he was looking at the, the the miracles in in the Gospels and in the Book of Acts. And you know, having come from the atheistic world and all of that, so he's gonna he, he's gonna present some evidence for the miraculous. So. He tells the story how he's writing the commentary on the book of Acts, and he's footnoting one of the portions of Acts that, you know, speak of the miraculous, and he goes on to say that his footnote turned into a 1,000-page volume on miracles, and so it's actually two volumes on miracles now, but it started with a footnote. Because once he started to really delve into the evidence for the miraculous, he couldn't stop writing. And so he tells a few stories. And, and this is the point that I want to make, is that not only did miracles happen in the New Testament times, miracles have happened all the way through the history of the church, and they still happen today. And he talked about these uh, studies that have been done. And there was, there was one study that was done among Pentecostal and Charismatic Christians from ten different countries around the world, and he said there were two hundred million reported miracles. Now he agrees that, of course, not every reported miracle is a miracle, but two hundred million reports there certainly are, are going to be things there that are valid. And then he he goes on and he just he's done all of this research and he tells some pretty fascinating stories. I. Don't know that I'll ever read the 1,000 pages on the subject, but it's really kind of piqued my interest, so maybe I'll read a few anyway. But one of the stories that he told that was interesting to me, and kind of just a, a reminder to us that miracles happen today, he told the story of, I think it was in India, and there was a, uh, a particular region where there were some churches in the region and all of the churches just kind of bickered and argued and basically just fought with each other. That's all, that's all they did. That was kind of the reputation in the region for the church. It was kind of useless. Well, somehow they figured out that this was probably not really helping the cause of the kingdom. And so they got together and they all repented and they asked the Lord to you know, forgive them and to help them to reach their region, whatever part of the country it was. And so the Lord put on their heart to go out and to begin to just share the gospel in the streets. And they talked about how God accompanied them with the miraculous. And one story that Craig told was so fascinating. He said there was a man who was 80 years old. He had been a very anti-God person his entire life. And he was publicly, when they would go out and, and share the gospel, he would be out there to oppose them. And he, he was publicly out there to oppose him. And for his whole life, his right hand was withered. So he couldn't lift his, his right hand. And in his tirade against God, he raised his hand and he was shouting that there was no God, that no one should believe in a God. And suddenly he stopped and looked at his hand and thought, oh, I must be wrong. (laughs) So anyway, this guy, this guy became a Christian. And what happened is literally tens of thousands of people in that region came to Christ through the efforts that began with that particular miraculous thing at that moment. So that's something fairly recently that happened. So... I've reminded us of this as we've been going through, but I want to remind us again. We have to be careful not to just relegate the miraculous to the past or to relegate it to a different part of the world. Although this is much more common in different places than it is in the West and particularly here among us, yet we cannot discount the fact that God still does miracles today. And there are many, many miraculous stories that uh, maybe some of you even know some yourself. And I've I've heard plenty myself. So that was a miracle. And yes, miracles still happen today. Now, another thing about the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, as I said, in chapter 8, there's then the second feeding. There's the feeding of the 4,000. We'll get to that and probably just touch on it lightly when we get to the 8th chapter. But as you look at the two different feedings, so one is 5,000, and the idea is 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, so several more probably. The feeding of the 4,000. In the feeding of the 5,000, there's 12 baskets. Of fragments that remain. And Jesus says, you know, get them and keep them. And then in the feeding of the 4,000, there's seven baskets of fragments that remain. And some have seen in this that what you have here is a picture of the Lord's sufficiency for both Israel and for the nations. So the significance with the 5,000 is that 12 baskets full are gathered up. And of course, there are 12 tribes of Israel. And so that Jesus, that Christ, that he was sufficient for Israel, that everything they could ever need, that that he would be the one to provide that for them. But then with the 4,000, some see the 4,000 that the, the audience was maybe more of a Gentile audience And then there's seven baskets full of fragments. And the seven would be, you know, the number seven is the number of completion. So again, the idea there, if that group was predominantly Gentile, that Christ is also sufficient for the nations as seven is the number of completion, that he will be able to bless and provide for all that the nations need. So that's just... You know, kind of something that is obviously a bit read into the text, but it certainly is or possibly is something that's legitimate. But one more thing before we move on over to John's gospel today, did you notice as you read on through the story, so Jesus dismisses the disciples, they get in a boat and they head back to the other side of the lake, but Jesus doesn't go. And, and what he does is he waits until the evening. He goes off to pray, actually. And in the wee hours of the morning, as they're straining at rowing because of a strong headwind, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Now, that, that is always, to me, so amazing to think and I have to tell you, every time I go to the Sea of Galilee, and especially early in the morning on the Sea of Galilee, you know, there's, it's just something when you're there and you wake up and you see the sun just beginning to rise over the, the eastern hills there and you look out at that beautiful lake. And I, as I was doing that a few years ago, I just suddenly had this thought like, wow, this is, this is so amazing. This body of water. There's, there's nothing like this in the whole world because it was on this body of water that two human beings actually walked. They walked on the water. One of them, of course, was the Son of God, but the other one was a feeble human being named Peter. But remember, Peter walked on the water as well. But Jesus comes to them. He's walking on the water. Now, you know, liberal scholars, uh, you know, people who reject the miraculous of the Bible. They come up with all kinds of theories about what was happening. Actually, the lake was frozen, and Jesus was just walking. You know, it was frozen. It doesn't explain what was happening with the guys trying to row through— I, you know, It doesn't say they were rowing through the ice. I highly doubt that the Sea of Galilee has ever frozen in the history of the world. But, you know, they come up with these just these lame kinds of things to— again, to just do away with the obvious. Jesus is walking on the water, and this freaks these guys out, just like it freaked them out when he calmed the storm. Now it's happening again. But here's, here's the thing that I, I want you to see, and here's the thing that the Lord wants us to see. So look at, um, let's pick it up in verse 48. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, so this would be just before the dawn, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid." And then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Now listen, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Wow. So what this is telling us is that Jesus did this to wake them up because apparently by this time they were starting to get used to this stuff they were starting to lose the awe of the miraculous. So Jesus feeds the 5,000 with a few loaves, and they're like, that's cool, you know. But they they had lost the awe. So this kind of snaps them out of it. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. It's like, no, no, don't, don't think this is normal. Uh, Don't forget that there's something extraordinary going on here. Don't let your hearts get hardened. And that was his purpose for coming to them, walking on the water. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as I said, all record the event of the feeding of the 5,000. But as you read through them, their, their accounts are all very, very brief, It's through John that we come to realize that this miracle was the backdrop. This miracle was the backdrop for some of the most profound teaching of Jesus about himself. So I want you to turn in your Bible over to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at the story once again, but we're going to look at some of the details that are missed with the other Writers, Now, now remember, you know, some people would say that, you know, the Bible is contradictory. And here's the contradiction right here. One guy says that this happened with the feeding of the 5,000. Another guy says that this happened. Uh, there's no contradictions. The synoptics, as they're commonly called, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their purpose is to give us, you know, they're, they're going through... And their purpose is just to give us, you know, kind of the overview in some sense of what happened, kind of the big picture. This is what happened. Jesus fed 5,000 with these, uh, you know, just fish and bread. But it was left to John to give more details about it. So we see that we learn uh, from John, as we already read, that it was a boy who had the five loaves and the two fish that were the initial substance for the miracle to take place but as we look at the gospel of John there are three things that I want to just point out to us here in the sixth chapter that I think are very helpful for us as we just look at the big picture of, of what's happening here
0: Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Another Gospel by Elisa Childers Progressive Christianity undermines the authority of Scripture And redefines many essential truths of the Gospel With powerful insight and intellectual integrity Elisa Childers compares and contrasts The historic Christian Gospel with the progressive Gospel Enabling you to wrestle with doubts of your own Or the challenge of others to the historic Christian faith the book Another Gospel by Elisa Childers is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you